right. So we are uh, we're rolling now, sitting here in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, and Dr. Chris Winter, uh, your office. Thank you for taking the time to spend with Jimbo and I on the Risk Matters podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. It's good to be here. Yeah, so you're uh, you're born and raised in right down the road in Roanoke, Virginia. Is that right? Salem, Virginia. So Salem. I was born at Roanoke Memorial, but I grew up in Salem. Both my parents were born in, in West Virginia and moved to Virginia and started teaching, and then I was I was born there. So I'm I'm a Virginia native. Yeah, fair enough. We're a couple of Lynchburg guys here, so, so I, I it's always a very like... important distinction between Roanoke and Salem. <laughs> yeah, there is. Well, it's also an important distinction between born being born in South. West Virginia or <laughs> Southwest <laughs> Virginia. So that comma placement is extremely important. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, um, we're excited to, to spend a little bit of time with you this morning. And, and as we kind of talked through before we pressed record, which is often when you say too much because you get a lot of good content and you go, man, we should have pressed record. But uh, we've been really interested in, in uh, I guess you could call it sleep science, for, for a while, maybe the past pretty deeply for the past two years. Sure. I mentioned initially our, our risk performance group is pretty, you know, culturally, philosophically pretty centered on and focused on diseases within organizations, um, disease that drives um, negative risk consequences and, and, um, and, and things that can drive positive uh, consequences. And, and where we see folks so often turn is they center on symptoms um, so when we kind of stumbled upon sleep and, and a lot of the new research that's out there and data that's driving, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, athletic uh, uh, decision-making, um, we got really excited because we, we see here maybe a neglected field that has a, a substantial or significant impact on, on outcomes, injury rates, morale, uh, leadership decisions, overall culture. Um, and, and yet it's not something we tend to really pay attention to. And so we kind of are are pretty drawn to that, and so thank you again for yeah for absolutely. taking the time. So, what drew you to the the study of, of sleep and to then clinical practice? I mean, maybe a lot of the things that you're talking about. When I, I you know I, I figured out from a young age I wanted to be a doctor, but sleep was never really on the radar. When I was an undergraduate at the University of Virginia, I needed. I was basically looking for some beer money and some credit hours and, and, and talked to my, <laughs> me too. Yeah, really talked to my advisor and he said, Hey, well, there's some doctors who are looking for help. And I remember looking through this binder of information of doctors who needed some research help. And I stumbled across this guy who was doing sleep research and he was looking at pigs and using breast implants. I thought this sounds really cool. <laughs> so it turns out the breast implants were not quite as, as, as exciting as I thought they would be. They were using them to give these little skinny pigs sleep apnea. So they're putting the breast implants in the neck of the pig. So the question was, is sleep apnea an independent variable for blood pressure problems? Or is it because most people who have blood pressure problems are obese, and that's really where it's coming from? So if you give a skinny pig sleep apnea, but they're not obese, you can answer the question. If he developed sleep apnea, it was an independent risk factor. If it No, it takes him to be obese in sleep apnea. So it turns out you give them the breast implants in their neck, and they get sleep apnea, they become hypertensive. Um, so it's been thought that it's an independent risk factor for all kinds of things. In fact, when you look at sleep apnea as a specific disease entity, as you're referring to, it's hard not to come up with the disease state that it's not directly referable to. Cardiac issues, weight, blood pressure, blood sugar, car accidents, mood, acid reflux, 
cancer, name it. I mean, it's probably related to those things. So I started doing research for this guy just as, you know, a way to get some money and something, you know, might get me into medical school and just never left the field. It's been, what, 27 years now. That that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great field. And it's, and it's like you said, you said you came to it two years ago. It's not that old. I mean, it's not like cardiology. I mean, one of the things that was really exciting about it was when I would talk to Paul, my mentor at the time, oh, I, what, what do you think about sleep and sports? Or what do you think about sleep and this? He'd be like, well, that's never been looked at before. Hmm. So it was a new field. So anything you kind of dreamt up had not been done. So it was kind of an interesting kind of Wild West sort of feel yeah. to it. I read somewhere that I think this is right, that sort of they had mapped the human genome prior to understanding sort of the sleep cycle and sort of how it relates to different functions of the body. Is that is that true? Absolutely. So, I mean, I think that we still don't really understand entirely all the different roles that sleep plays in terms of functions we take daily for granted. You know, what is your your sleep do in terms of your metabolism? What does it do in terms of your athletic performance, as we were talking about? And and as, as time passes, we find that, you know, these things are intimately related to sleep. I mean, just take a look at how this amazing swimmer does when he flies to Beijing for a world championships, and now is suddenly his body clock is completely screwed up. Um, so these are the kinds of things that, you know, elite performance athletes pay attention to. But I got interested in the athletes, not because of the athletes. I got interested in that, I think these things affect all of us. If you're a lawyer, you sell insurance, or you're a school teacher, we have performance, you know, things that improve it and things that worsen it. It's just in athletes, it gets more attention. It's a lot easier to measure. You know, yeah, they're a, little, they're a little bit, they tend to be a little bit more of a finer edge. And so the, we, exactly. I, I tend to see, you know, when I, when I got into this and started making a few adjustments, what I noticed and what I've noticed over my life is that the changes aren't quite as profound as as people tend to illuminate them to be, but change, small change, compounds and can be really, really profound, but these small little incremental changes you make are pretty Absolutely. interesting. One of the things that draws me to, 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 to researching and looking into sleep and learning more about it is the not, not only the physiological and the biological impact that being underslept has, but also the behavioral. And those two kind of are a Venn diagram of interactivity. Of um, Venn diagram, what is that? <laughs> so two circles. That two circles that interact. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So, but what, what's fascinating is, so you, you think about, okay, so how does that impact uh, when we talk about culture and risk within organizations? Um, you've got to believe that on a job site, if somebody's underslept, they're going to be less patient, they're going to be more curt. They're going to be more abrupt with people, more abrasive, probably not as industrious. Um, but more then prone all, to mistakes. Right, prone to mistakes, you know, a pretty significant increase in, in injuries. Um, and so what does that have? What kind of ripple effect does that have on the organization a, as a whole? I mean, teams tend to be pretty fragile. Sure. And when you've got one team member who is underslept, or as Jimbo mentioned, you know, we go speak to a fair amount of, uh, of companies, and before we even get started, um, there are, you know, maybe, a, I don't know, let's just say 10% of the room is, is dozing off at 10 in the morning. And you say, man, what is going on here? And how does that translate to productivity? Absolutely. Right. And so that, this is kind of the, the beauty, as you mentioned uh, about this conversation, is that it's not a, it, I guess it could be difficult to execute, but it's, it's not as difficult to ask as if you were telling somebody they needed to exercise. Absolutely. Right? So you, you, it's right in front you, of you. You never meet anybody who says, 
You know what I do? I, well, I mean, you probably do, but I sleep too much. Um, that's probably a sliver of the population. Most people are pretty underslept. And the people who sleep too much, it's generally a, it's generally a consequence or a symptom of something being wrong with your sleep. So as the quality of your sleep is diminished, not like a sleep apnea patient, then suddenly they start to sleep more to compensate for it. So you're, but you're exactly right. If you're sitting in a lecture and 10% of the people at some company are nodding off, there's a reason for it. Either you did not get enough sleep last night or you spend enough time unconscious in your bed, but the quality of that sleep is so poor, it's not allowing you to stay awake. And, we, and it's amazing how many people will tell you this, a phrase or a variant of the phrase, I'm fine as long as I'm busy. You shouldn't have to be busy to be able to maintain consciousness in your life. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, yeah. But people get to that place. You know, I've, got, I've had you know, people build desks on top of treadmills because they figure out as long as I'm walking, I can get my work done. If I sit down and do my work, I fall asleep. Mm. So humans are very resourceful, and, and, and it's amazing how bad a problem can get before it gets dealt with. I, we diagnosed a condition called narcolepsy, which is a profound... Uh, sleepiness in a major league baseball player. And I'd been kind of working with this guy and he's a big, big name, uh, younger player. And I said, do you mind if I call your parents? And I talked to his parents and they were as kind as they could be. And they said, oh gosh, you know, when he was in high school, he would come off the field and go into the dugout. And if he was not going to bat that inning, he put his glove down on the bench and take a nap. Hmm. And, and the woman, the mother kind of paused when I was on the phone with her and she said, I just always thought he was just working real hard. Hmm. Like they never really thought of that as being something problematic. So that's the other danger in sleep is that if you have a seizure at work, nobody thinks that's fine. If you fall asleep at work, it's kind of funny or maybe they're lazy or you just jump to the conclusion you need to get some more sleep, you know, but people don't view that as a medical symptom. Hmm. It's often viewed as being almost laziness. Like, you know, so anyway, it's it's a very unusual group of collection of disorders that you have that are not, you know, we always try to tell school nurses, if a kid's always falling asleep in class, don't assume it's because he's staying up playing Fortnite. There may be something wrong that you could intervene upon and completely <laughs> change the, the trajectory of this kid's life. Well, I think, I think the f- contrast to that, which is, you know, and I, I've said this to a number of people in talking about this. I think every everybody knows at a basic level if they had a really terrible night of sleep for whatever reason, you know, they had to stay up too late, they had to get up too early, they stayed out too late partying, whatever it is, they know the next day is miserable, and all they want to do is get through that next day. That's um, right. And but yet we kind of live life at, at something under that, something something less than that, and we just sort of take it as normal and and. Absolutely. And, and you're, you're hitting on a very important topic. The ability to understand better or worse is very different from the ability to understand normal. Um, so if somebody is, you know, like this, this ball player is profoundly sleepy, so you can give him a medication that makes him feel more awake and he'll tell you this is much better. Doesn't mean he's normal. Right. So that play, that person you're talking about who, you know, when he parties, he feels terrible. When he doesn't, he feels better. Yeah, that better could still be way off of normal, <laughs> right. you know. Yeah. So, and, and that's where, you know, if you've done something long enough, you kind of lose that measuring stick of what is normal. And we have a saying too that 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 sleep perception and sleep reality are two very different things. What, what's the what? What are the sort of obviously sleep studies? 
are there other sort of diagnostics? I mean, history. What? 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 Do, how sure. do you sort of go about? And the most important thing, absolutely, the most important thing for any patient is a history. And if you divide up the people who come to our clinic into two groups, they're usually one of two flavors. The one group is I can't sleep. You know, they typically tend to be scheduled in our office right before lunchtime because they have a lot to unload. You know, they have tried every pill. They've they're only sleeping an hour at night, even though their Fitbit says they're sleeping six. And they, you know, their mother had problems and they've lost three jobs and they're dysfunctional during the day. And so there's a lot to unpack with those people who can't sleep. The flip side is the people who sleep excessively. And what's strange is they're usually the worst in terms of some medical condition but they're often, strangely, people who feel like they're fine. Well, I'm fine because I can lie down on the ground right here on this gravel pile and go right to sleep. Right. So I'm, I'm a good sleeper. I can sleep in any circumstance, anytime. In fact, everybody in my family says I'm the best sleeper in the world because I can sleep in any situation. <laughs> that actually means you're the worst in the world. Like, why can you lie down on gravel and fall asleep? Why mm. do you fall asleep during every church service? And it's a joke in the congregation. It's because something is preventing the sleep you're getting at night from doing its job of making you feel awake during the day. I'm such a good eater. I can eat food out of a trash can easily. That doesn't make you a good eater. Right. That just makes you're really hungry. Why are you so hungry? I don't know, because I eat a lot of other food. Well, then maybe you've got a hole in your jaw. When you eat the food, it falls out of the hole <laughs> under the floor. Like, look closely. There's something wrong with your eating here, you know? So it's interesting, again, that perception of I can't sleep. All I do is sleep. Which one do people feel is the more profound problem? Which one really is? Yeah. You know. So what are the things that, that uh, kind of latching on to a few things here, but what are the things that impact the ability, um, going back a few minutes, to, to the quality of getting a good night of sleep? I mean, I think of things, low-hanging fruit items like alcohol, even sleep, maybe speak also to sleep uh, medications, whether sure. they actually aid in sleep or, or if that's a long-term fix. And so I guess high level just the, and then down into granular, what are the things that impact quality of, sure. of sleep. And so just to circle back really quickly about mm. your, your, what are the diagnostic things we do? Yes, we do sleep studies. There's in-lab studies and home studies. But now with this sort of explosion of wearable technology, we can actually get a fair amount of information from those things too, uh, which can be extremely helpful for the patient who says, look, I haven't slept more than an hour for the last seven years. Well, that's not what your Fitbit says. Fitbit says you're sleeping no less than six hours and 45 minutes a night. So perception and reality of sleep, again, can vary dramatically in some people. So the things that we want to make sure that people are getting is, number one, they're on somewhat of a consistent schedule. So as you all move from business to business, if you've got a business that's sort of more of a 24-hour business, you know, three different shifts of people who are on call and they rotate through, people who are building highways or ER nurses or, you know, whatever, call centers and things like that, that schedule is automatically a problem that has to be dealt with. Well, I'm, some days I'm 7A to 7P, then I rotate after three weeks to the 7P, 7A shift. Like, we really want consistency of schedule. We also want to make sure that people are getting the amount of time in bed that they need specifically. If you're somebody who needs seven hours and you're being told by the media to sleep eight, you're probably going to have insomnia because you go to bed at 11 o'clock, but you're not really ready to sleep at 11 o'clock. You're more ready to sleep at midnight. But you're feeling that hour it's taking you to fall asleep, and you look over at your partner, and she's sound asleep. You've got a problem. It takes me an hour to fall asleep. i got to take a pill, right, to make myself fall asleep. No, maybe at midnight's a more appropriate bedtime for you. Than, so you want to make sure that your schedule is consistent, that the amount of time that you're seeking to sleep is what you actually need, and that you protect that time. You know, for a lot of workers, what happens is they get home, they get all this stuff done, they get their kids' permission notes signed, check their homework, clean up dinner, and then now it's 11 o'clock, and for the first time all day, they've had a little time to themselves. 
They don't want to go to bed. Mm. They're tired, but they're going to stay up and watch you know some trashy television show or go mess around, tie some fishing flies, or just do something that they want to do because that's the only time they have to get that Amen. taken care of. You know, so they stay up a little bit later than they should. They get up at six o'clock the next day. They can do it, but they they struggle when they, the lecture comes around. They sneak off to their car at lunchtime and take a little nap. So to me, you know, making sure the environment of your sleep's good, alcohol before you go to bed is not a good thing. A lot of people confuse sedation and sleep. Oh, I sleep great, Dr. Winter, when I have four or five beers at night. No, you don't. You're unconscious better. You're not sleeping better. The mm. quality of what's going on during that unconscious is not great. And if, if unconsciousness equal great sleep, Michael Jackson would still be alive. Mm. You know, so, you know, making sure that you have a nice schedule to your sleep. Are you getting some exercise in there? Are medications, like you said, are the medications you're taking actually ruining the quality of your sleep? There's a lot of sleeping pills out there, I put that in quotation, that actually make the quality of your sleep worse. They just sedate you. So if I told a patient, look, I'm sorry you're having trouble sleeping. Why don't you take two bourbons and call me in three weeks? They would think I was a terrible doctor. Bourbon's not an appropriate drug to make you sleep. Well, it's sedating. You know, and that's about what this drug that your other doctor's giving you. It's just in a pill form. So it's okay if it comes in a capsule. If it comes in a little glass, <laughs> in a glass with an ice cube in it and a little little umbrella on top, that's terrible. Well, no, it's essentially the same thing. So we have to understand what, what we're putting in our body is actually doing to our quality of our sleep and understand that even though you feel like I drink those four beers, I'm knocked out. And when I don't have the four beers, it might take me 30 minutes to fall asleep. I'll take the 30 minutes to fall asleep and what you get after that versus the knocked out on the you know, four Michelob lights. So is it exciting for you to be kind of a part of a, a, a movement, if you will, when, I, when, I, when we talk about, we've kind of created a diagram broken into thirds of, of people's day and sleep r- roughly compromises that but, or, or comprises that. But when you ask people if they get busy where they're going to compromise, which part of the pie they're going to push uh, out of right. the way to narrow um, they're going to say sleep all the time. And, sure. and one of the things that we've kind of thought is, man, there there is not, I think we've only had one person, a colleague from Sweden, who when we asked, um, has anybody received sleep education in their life? You know, you get sex education, you get physical education, but where is the sleep education? And, and maybe five years ago, and maybe in a lot of places still, that might be a silly question to some folks. But to me, it's like, man, that is one of the most profound bits of education uh, that maybe we could give people because of the impact it has on overall health, on quality of life. And so for you, I mean, you kind of were an early adopter, if you will, um, through your through your experience in undergrad and then on to medical school. But does it feel kind of like this is a, a little bit of a startup, like a, a new frontier? Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. I mean, I, I always kind of likened it to Gatorade. I mean, at some point, somebody said, wow, maybe, you know, steak and alcohol the night before your big game is probably not the best thing you could do. Your your <laughs> pee is like neon yellow. Like, you know, that's, you're a little bit, you know, so at some point somebody said, wow, you know, hydrating somebody might be a great thing for performance. And now it's just gospel. You can buy it at a grocery store, at a gas station convenience store, Gatorade all over the place. So I, it, absolutely it feels that way. And, and the sad thing is, is not only is the general population, the average consumer, uh, the average worker not getting education, where would that education come from? Well, you would assume it's going to come from your maybe your primary care doctor or the media. The media does not get it, and the primary care doctor probably got no training in medical school. So I've been in the field for, what, 27 years. But as I wrote in my book, 
I only got one lecture on sleep medicine. You know, so I think it was sometime during my second year of medical school. It was an hour-long lecture. We talked a little bit about sleep apnea. talked about a thing called REM behavior disorder, where you act out your dreams. There was a video of a little elderly couple who the guy thought his wife was a deer and grabbed her by the head and banged her head against the headboard and woke up and thought, oh, God, it's not a deer in my hands. It's my wife's head in my hands. And that was the lecture. And then the next hour-long lecture were guys who wanted to have sex with their wife's shoes. And I remember thinking... We're giving as much time for wives wanting to screw their husband's shoes as we're going to give sleep. Sleep is one of the top seven complaints people have with their primary care doctor. So the problem is now you go to your primary care doctor and say, I'm having trouble with my sleep. You know, if they don't refer you to a sleep specialist like us and they're trying to deal with themselves, it's going to be a sleeping pill. Hmm. You know, lose some weight and take some Ambien. Like that, that's because they don't know anything different. So you're right. There is a trend. That's why I wrote the book is I just felt like, there needs to be the situation where a patient can read a book that feels like you sat down and had a couple beers with a sleep doctor. Like, right. no, not preachy, just some good education, some good follow-up, and, and, and enough information to understand when you need to take that next step. And so when did you, when did you write The Sleep Solution? When, when, how long did it take you to work on that? And what's the process <laughs> I never, like you know, to the, pu- here's the publish? Pro- <laughs> here's, here's the secret process. The secret process was... I travel so much for my work, working with athletes or military or businesses and stuff, that I would be sitting in airports and I would not have things to do. So I would, I, at one point, I thought, you know, I've been in this for long enough. And I've got some ideas about sleep. I'm going to write them down and I'll print them out at some point and stick them in a little like high school essay folder and hand them out to my patients. So I just kept adding on to this Microsoft Word document, it got massive at one point. <laughs> and so then this guy wrote an, read an article I wrote for a magazine and said, man, I really like that article you wrote. I think you should write a book. I said, I did write a book. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. I never came across this. I said, oh, you can't come across it because it's on my computer. You'd never see it. It's, it's a secret book. And so you know, what is the guy talking about? So I said, hey, I'll send it to you. And so I sent it to him. I literally, if he had said, oh, this is really good, let me send you a Starbucks gift card if you don't mind me keeping it. I probably would have said, sure, yeah, you can have it, no problem. <laughs> so this, fortunately, this guy was a much more uh, professional. Uh, professional and honor, you know, more uh, reputable guy. And he said, yeah, I think I can sell this to a publisher. And he sold it to Penguin for you know a lot of money. And so I never really wrote the book. It, you know, just... So the way you're supposed to write a book is you have an idea for a book. You sell the idea. This is, I've been told this now. And now I'm an expert on public. I'm kidding. I don't know anything about it. So you give the idea and you give them the money up front. And then you write the book. I kind of went around and asked backwards and wrote the book. Had nothing to do with it. My wife would say for years, you should do something with this book. Like, I don't know. What do you do with it? And you're like, oh, I'll send it to the place where you get paid for writing a book. Like, I have no idea right. what's going on. I so actually the, have So this guy somewhere. like really saved me. You know, he, Jeff Kleinman of Folio Lit. He's a great guy. And he said, so yeah, he, he wrote me back like the next day and said, I read your book. It's great. Yeah. You know, it's so unique. And so, like I said, you know, buyer beware. It's a little bit out there in terms of the language and the way I talk about stuff. I'm not, I'm a redneck from Southwest Virginia, as you all know, South if you've listened West to this. Virginia I'm from Southwest, Southwest Virginia. Virginia. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the way I talk to my patients. So some people like it, some people kind of irritates them, but whatever. So do you, uh, you mentioned you travel a fair amount, and then you also mentioned that there's a challenge with folks uh, identifying someone who who's actually in the field of, of sleep medicine. And so, um, I'm thinking of, of folks we've got all throughout the clients we've got all throughout the states and 
and so is there a, a place, kind of a, a catalog, if you will, to find sure. your regional, you know, yeah. uh, sleep expert or, you know, w- what's it like to get in contact with you and to connect with you and consult with you? What, what are the processes sure, and, for that? Yeah, so that, that's easy. Just call up our office and make an appointment. Um, so that, that's easy. But, I, you know, it's amazing. I was just telling some guy who came from, <laughs> he came from California out here to see us. And so every time I sit down and look at a patient, I look at where their address is. It's Charlottesville. It's Roanoke. It's Lynchburg. And this was like, you know, Sonoma, California. And I said, the first thing I said was, do you know how many great sleep doctors you just flew over top of to get here? You know, like it's, I don't think it's at all necessary to, to come here, but you know, he said, well, I saw you were this athlete sleep doctor. So I figured I'd come here and whatever. Um, so the best thing to do is you, know, you can look up or you can talk to your primary care doctor. Hey, I, I think I might need a little bit more detailed sleep information and, and you know, who should I see? So your primary care doctor should be able to say, well, here are the sleep experts in our area. I always tell patients if a primary care doctor is resistant to you seeing a sleep specialist, get a new primary care doctor. That's bizarre. Yeah. I had a patient who had terrible sleep apnea. He said, well, I told my doctor a couple of years ago I thought I had it, and he said I didn't need a sleep study. So three years later, he gets a sleep study. He has horrible sleep apnea. thinking, why would a doctor go out on that limb and say no? Mm. It's one thing to not think of it. It's one thing when your patient says, I think I might have sleep apnea. And you say, no, you don't. I can tell by looking at you. So that, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen right there. But So to me, it's just, you know, talk to your primary care doctor and say, I've been concerned about my sleep. I'd like to talk to a sleep specialist. There should be a, a list of people. They generally come in, you know, a couple of flavors. There's the pulmonary sleep doctor who's often more in line with like the sleep apnea thing. And then there's, I'm a neurologist, you know, um, and, and they, uh, there's a fair amount of overlap there, but I'm certainly, as I, as you can read in my book, I'm partial neurologist. You know, what's the lung have to do with sleep, right? It's all the brain, baby. It's all the brain. Um, so you know, lung, lungs along for the ride. It's like a spleen doctor. It's the same thing, right? Uh, no, I'm, there's some wonderful, I, I say that in jest, there's some wonderful pulmonary sleep doctors out there, but you know, so there, there, there's people exist. And if there's some near you, great. If there's not, you may have to make a little bit of a drive there, but they're all over the place. And there's so many good, smart sleep doctors out there there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to see one so one one uh, as we as we kind of round this out a bit um one thing you said a, a little bit back that kind of peaked, uh, peaked my attention caught my attention was you mentioned you know they say between seven and they is the interesting point there is they say sleep between seven and nine hours but you know somebody might need to sleep seven someone a small percent of the population maybe six or or maybe nine Correct. or ten so can you sort through that from a diagnostic perspective? I mean, is that something sure. that you can yeah, identify? No, absolutely. Was, I think we were saying before we started recording, you know, what's the best way to determine if somebody's got a sleep problem? To me, it has to do with how sleepy are you during the day? So to me, if you're not sure how much you sleep, pick a number, make it seven. So you're going to go to bed 11 o'clock every night and you're going to get up at six. And to me, the place you really want to focus on is that wake up time. So if you go to bed 11, it takes you to 1145 to fall asleep, get up at six. You know, and if you find yourself always taking you to 11.45 to fall asleep and you're always waking up at 6, maybe you're the 6 hours and 15 minute person. That's okay. You know, if you find yourself going to bed at 11, always getting up at 6, you fall asleep in 2 seconds, you wake up at 6 and feel exhausted the rest of the day, maybe 11 to 6 is not quite enough for you. So you can figure it out over time if you're pretty disciplined about the schedule. Just have an openness to, like you said, despite the fact that Dr. Oz told you you're going to get dementia if you don't get eight hours of sleep at night. It's not true. Um, so a lot of people with quote-unquote insomnia are just trying to match their bed partner's schedule, which is not necessarily theirs. Well, Harold goes to bed every night at 9, so I do. He goes right to sleep. I'm twiddling my thumbs for an hour. 
doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. I mean, Harold may eat a whole pizza for lunch, and you can only eat two slices before you're full. Great. The two pizzas work for him. He's a big guy. You're a tiny woman. Like, mm. we don't think of that sort of, well, everybody needs 2,200 calories. We don't think about that with calories, but with sleep, yeah, we'll throw out eight hours, and it crushes some people. So pick an average, seven or eight. If you're feeling like you never can sleep eight and you're frustrated because it always takes you an hour to fall asleep, you might be closer to seven. If you feel like you're getting eight but are exhausted, you might need nine or there may be something wrong with your sleep. So I'm always mostly concerned if somebody says, I'm a 10-hour person. My first thought is, are you or are you compensating for bad quality sleep by more quantity? If somebody says, I'm six and feel great, in fact, when I try to sleep seven, I, can, I rarely can fall asleep, and the partner there is with him or her, and, and you can tell that they agree, I don't have a problem with six. You know, it's about getting what you need, not some sort of magical number. Yeah, so one... Uh, uh, and that's one, what the Epworth in my book, if you look up Epworth sleeping scale, mm. if you score high on that... And you're telling me you need six, and that's or you need five, and that's all you need, and you're scoring an Epworth as a 17, you're fooling yourself. You yeah. need a lot. Being able to do it and being what you need are two different things. I'm, I'm a former medical student, neurology resident. I can easily get by with a couple hours of sleep at night. Am I doing my body a favor? Am I a fun person to be with? No, <laughs> but I can do it. Like I can take your spleen out, having been awake for 36 hours. Not a great situation to be in, but I can certainly do it. Not ideal, and certainly not the best thing for my health over a long period of time. Yeah. So what I love about that is that it, it really highlights that 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 our choices compound in in both directions. So Absolutely. Negative choices compound in a negative direction, and positive choices tend to compound in a positive direction. And, and you sleep see is that. slow, so you don't see it right away. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. But if you if yeah. we could clone ourselves, and I could say we were just talking about that Calvin and Hobbes thing where he is a great cartoon series where Calvin clones himself. And he's like, you, Calvin, go do the homework and I'll clean the room and I'll just sit there and hang out. If we could clone ourselves and I could send off one version of Chris Winter to go basically get four hours of sleep for the next 10 years, I'll get a disciplined seven and a half and let's meet up and have a drink. A, I'm not sure the other dude's going to be alive in 10 years. And B, I'm going to look a lot better, feel a lot better, probably still be married, you know, <laughs> not be 20 pounds overweight. Like, they're very different people, those two individuals. And you see that in the clinic for people who have terrible sleep problems who fix them. You know, as they come back for follow-up, they look great. Yeah. It's fun. You know, it's a, it's a fountain of youth for sure. Well, what I love about that is that we talk with clients a lot about how risk plays out over the course of a lifetime. So you get you get in your car today and you don't wear a seatbelt, you may get away with that. Absolutely. But over the course of a lifetime. <laughs> that is a that is a difficult concept for an eighteen year old to to understand. And, and but yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. The power of no result. Yeah, it's the power it's, of no result. Right, and and right. it's the same with you see folks doing lifting boxes. You you don't use the proper lifting technique. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tend to hurt you. Uh, just like what I love about the, you know, the, the state police commercials where they'll say, if you drink and drive, we will catch you. And the problem with that is that most of the time that's not true. Most of the time people get uh, away with that, and yep. so they push it further and further. That compounds until we get in a pretty significant accident. And so yep. I love what you said about sleep not being maybe immediately noticeable as to the, 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 the yeah. vastness of the implications for not for being underslept or potentially well, overslept. I'll throw one more out there for your clients. The family bed. 
you know, just had a new baby and, and mama wants the baby or daddy wants the baby or both want the baby in bed with them. American Academy of Pediatrics finally came out and said, we don't recommend this in the first year of the child's life. Mm. So are there people out there? The baby slept right next to the mother until they were you know, doing calculus and everything was fine? Sure. But come spend some time here in the clinic when we see a patient whose dad rolled over on top of the baby and killed the baby. Mm. So at that point, you know, it's so funny. You won't drink that glass of wine when you're pregnant. Why? Oh, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure this baby's healthy. So you're going to stick that baby in bed with you and your husband when you're asleep? Do you have any idea the risk that goes on with that? So I get it. I love my kids, too. I like to be attached to them. But, you know, the idea that, I mean, I, I, I sleep through all kinds of stuff. I would be a tremendous threat to my child if I did that. Even though H- I love hence, hence the room in the basement on the other side of the house. That's right. That's <laughs> exactly Jimbo right. strategy. That's exactly I won't, right. I won't say who taught me that strategy, That's but right. it's a darn good one. Yeah. It's a good one. Well, Dr. Winter, thank you so much for taking hey, the time today. My pleasure. Today. And I Dr. really appreciate what you We got one more. Like, so we're sitting in his office, and the walls are covered with um, Sports Illustrated covers, um, mostly. I guess there's some other... There's um, one ESPN the magazine because I met Alex Ovechkin and he's never been at least at the time he had never been on the cover of Sports Illustrated which was shocking to me. So when I work with athletes, if they've been on the cover of Sports Illustrated, I I, I take them with me and 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 you know, they're usually kind enough to sign it after we've done some work together. And there's some funny ones. There's one around here. It may not be in a frame where I always tell tell people like, hey, if you don't mind, write something about sleep. So I'm looking at. Carly Lloyd's right now enjoyed having you talk to sleep about about sleep with our team. Sleep is important for our success. So I say I always say that to a player, and this football player said, I said, hey, just write something about sleep on there. And he wrote, Thank you for sleeping with me last night. You were, you were, you were, you were, you were uh, impossibly gentle or something like that. Like, like, man, I can't put that up in my office. <laughs> so he's such a I'm sad not it to was so great. Yeah, but no, everybody's usually really nice. So I mean, sleep affects us all and you know, as you can kind of look around and see, people are usually pretty thankful when you can get their sleep problems kind of handled up a little bit. So it's 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 nice to have the opportunity to work with these people. There are, they have a lot of interesting stories to tell. Well, I think to cast that out into a world where, whether we whether we like it or not, or believe it or not, there are a lot of people that 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 follow sports and have sports heroes, and and to see just by sitting here the number of them that are sort of interested in. And what, what sleep can do for their careers and their livelihood um, makes me think if you, you take it down to a level of the average Joe going to work every day, that there, there's matters. a lot of opportunity. It really matters. And so, you know, it matters to these, these, these women and women who are in sports, and it should matter to all of us, whatever we're engaged in. I'm not a huge, strangely not a big athletics fan, Um I mean, I like these people, but I'm not crazy about it. I want to see my team succeed, but I'm more interested in making my patients feel better and using this as a vehicle to see, look, this guy, when he fixed his sleep problems, he added two more years to his career and he was actually quite productive. You as the teacher, the lawyer, the salesman can be the same way mm-hmm. and maybe even improve your health along the way. You know, longevity, less likely to crash your car, to to contract diabetes or struggle with your weight. I mean, there's so many positives that come out of it. And all this saves you money and gives you more time to do the things you love to do. Amen. Well, thank you again. And uh, yeah, my Dr. pleasure. Winter, Dr. Winters, the president of Charlottesville Neurology and Medicine in Charlottesville, Virginia. 
and, sleep uh, medicine. Sleep medicine. Um, and we just appreciate your time again. Thanks so sure, much. Sure. And the book is The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep's Broken and How to Fix It. If you really enjoy the soothing tone of my voice, there's an audio version of me reading it, <laughs> which is another funny story, which we'll save for another time. All right, folks. Thanks for awesome. tuning in. And uh, thank, you. thank you again. My pleasure. Take care.